0: Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now.
1: Well, welcome, Power Partners. This is our informational playground at Star Style. Be the star you are. Brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be The Star You Are Charity. We are your hosts. I am Cynthia Bryan, and I am here to help you seed, stimulate, and support space for positive, meaningful conversations. We are having such a, a great, great end of spring, I think it is right now, because it seems like the weather has been going a little bit uh, crazy. One day, it's 100 degrees and the next day it's 50 degrees but we're going to move away from that today and we're going to show you how to make tea and grow tea from your own garden and we are also going to talk about the constitution and women's rights in it or the lack of them but right now we're going to be coming up with the dog flu because for those of you who have dogs you uh, want to be very cautious because Dog flu is very dangerous. The Miracle Moment is brought to you from Be The Star You Are, and it was from Henry James. There are few hours in life more agreeable than the hour dedicated to the ceremony known as afternoon tea, and I just want to say that it is a ceremony, and at 4 o'clock Pacific time is always the time that. It was the tea ceremony, and you'll hear more about me um, and how my life revolved around tea when I lived in Holland and also spent time in Ireland in the next segment, but let's talk uh, about the dog flu because this is really serious, and it can happen to any of the dogs all over uh, the United States, so... Canine influenza virus recently hit Northern California with an intensity. It caused 413 positive cases that were identified actually uh, before February. And they ranged all the way from San Francisco Bay Area all the way up to Reno, Nevada. Now, what happened, it created a flurry of activity among veterinarians, pet owners, kennel, boarding facilities, and groomers. Everyone was seeking more information and they wanted to get some quick vaccinations for any dogs that they may have, or especially for any dogs that might be susceptible to the flu. The virus is probably here to stay, veterinarians say, and those dogs with um, airspace contact with other dogs really need to seek a vaccination. And that means if your dogs play with other dogs, if you go to the park, uh, if you live in the city, and you know your dogs, you're walking them every day on the street, you're going to meet other dogs. So, basically, my advice would be, no matter whether your dog is an inside dog or an outside dog, or where you live, you should really get this vaccination. There are two strains of of it's called CIV H3N2. That is the strain that's in California. Now, the other strain is H3N3. The strain H3N2, which is in California, originated as an avian blue virus, and it was first detected in South Korea in 2007. Then it was identified in Chicago. This is H3N2 in April of 2015, and it's unknown how it actually came to the United States. While this has been reported to infect cats, it really is a dog-only flu disease. The other strain, which is H3N8, it actually originated in horses and was identified in 2004 in Florida greyhounds. It's also considered a dog-specific virus, meaning that it does not infect other species. According to Merck Animal Health, as of 2018, only two states in the continental U.S. have not reported the CIV, along with Alaska and Hawaii. Now compare this to 2013, when there were only 15 states that did not have uh, any reports, and in 2008, when 35 states had not reported a single case And in 2007, only Florida and Tennessee had reports of CIV. And now we come to 2018 and all but two states have reported this dog influenza. So it appears that there are some significant differences between CIV and human H3N2 flu viruses. Now, the two biggest differences are that CIV does not appear to be a seasonal problem, And that CIV mutation doesn't appear to be at a rapid rate. So the CIV vaccine is stable, and it is protective from one year to the next. Now, that is really good news for our canine friends. Nowadays, some dogs travel to a variety of geographic locations. And whether it's from relocation after a natural disaster, think of all the wildfires, that happened here in California, Colorado, Arizona, the hurricanes, the volcanoes, you know, during which pets got lost and then they get picked up by rescue organizations or it could also be from traveling across the country or state lines for vacations or dog shows. It could also be from flying. In fact, the airlines are reporting a huge percentage, something like 88% increase in pets flying these days. In fact, there are new regulations, which in another show I will uh, discuss because so many pets are traveling that many airlines have had to install rules that would really make the pets safe as well as humans safe. So there's no question that the potential for spreading the disease will increase as long as there's travel movement. And in my opinion, this is the most likely manner that the virus strains enter local areas. And you can talk to your veterinarian what uh, what he or she thinks is the way that the flu is getting there. But dogs in same airspace contact as other dogs are definitely at risk for spreading and getting CIV, as well as other respiratory infections. So... When we identify the situation, what is the respiratory infection uh, situation? A respiratory infection in one dog might cause a cough, a sneeze, or it might have something in another dog. It might be uh, an eye discharge, or it might be difficulty breathing. It might be contact with another through saliva, or it could even be by, you know, touching each other, or again, that eye discharge. So, specific categories include kennel and boarding facilities, grooming parlors, doggy daycare, dog parks, agility, and other dog group activities. And that includes parades or dog shows or, you know, even dog walkers who take multiple dogs at one time. All of those dogs could get infected. It's just like a a child daycare center. If all the children aren't immunized, that one child who is not immunized can infect anybody else who is also not immunized if that person is sick. So this is why there are so many regulations for schools and daycare centers and any place where children are about immunization. In fact, the rules now are you can't even go to college or go to school unless you've had your shots. And I know there's many people that are against them, but it's it's a, a lifesaver. So... We have to think the same thing for our pets. There's really a growing trend for individuals also to offer dog boarding in their private homes, and you have to realize that this type of a boarding facility or a home kennel with multiple dogs together in the same room or a backyard can really cause contagious diseases to spread very rapidly from one dog contact to another. And, you know, even though your friend may uh, groom their dog and take them to the vet, if they haven't had these vaccinations, your dog is uh, likely to contract the disease. So just like human flu cases, most, uh, most dog cases can be mild or might be mild, but we can't depend on that. So there will be some dogs who are going to develop high fevers. There's going to be some dogs who um, will get pneumonia. And unfortunately, some dogs are going to die. So we have to be really, really uh, cautious about this. And especially the older the dog, the tougher the situation could be. Now, incubation period can be two to four days between exposure And it's about the same time for developing any clinical signs. What the symptoms are that you want to watch for are coughing, sneezing, eye and nose discharge, you know, uh, being very lethargic, having a fever, not eating, vomiting, diarrhea. Diagnosis is really important and it's specific to having a lab test. And those lab tests are required from oral as well as from, um, sw- uh, from swabbing. So treatment is supportive care, and it's based on the level of symptoms. Isolation from other dogs is absolutely necessary for up to three weeks after all the signs have been resolved in order to prevent any further spread. So for dog flu disease, prevention is key. So th- think about proper vaccination, of all dogs, because all dogs are at risk. And it's best to vaccinate for both strains of CIV. And most veterinarians carry, or they can order, it's called the the bivalent, B-I-V-A-L-E-N-T, a vaccine that has both strains in it. Now initially, the dog should receive two vaccines at two to four weeks apart and then be maintained with an annual booster. So the vaccine has minimal negative effects, and it's considered highly protective. So if your dog is at risk as described, just ask your veterinarian about uh, the vaccination, and while you're there, find out what other vaccinations would be good for your pet so that you can keep your pet healthy keep other dogs health, healthy and then feel good about taking your pet you know for you uh, with you on vacation because summer is coming up and many many people travel with their pets. If you want more information about dog flu, here are some websites that could be helpful. cvma.net c like cat v like victor m like mary a like naple and that's .net or dogflu.com and veterinarypartner.com. All of those are very, very helpful uh, places that you can find out where you can do something about your your dog and get your vaccination. So when we come back from break, I'm going to show you and give information on how you can make home-brewed tea by growing your own herbs and spices and fruits and vegetables and you're going to just really love it because it's fresh it's refreshing and it's good for you i'm cynthia bryan you're listening to star style be the star you are i'll be back in a bit be
0: the star you are the star you
2: us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 925-377-STAR, 925-377-STAR
0: It's power time on star style. Be the star you are with your passion purpose and possibility producer Cynthia Bryant. Now back to the power party This business of show businesses.
1: Well we are back and in this segment I want to talk about tea for two or three or four or more. From the time my daughter Heather Brittany was like three years old, We always enjoyed this ritual of drinking tea. Of course, it all began with those, you know, cute teddy bear picnics and pretend doll picnics. And then one day it escalated to brewing, quote, the real herbal tea from the garden until it became our signature sacred mother-daughter sacrament where we would solve the woes of the world and our own challenges over an exotic potion crafted from what we grew. And although we had consumed tea as children in my own personal family, the formal tradition of afternoon tea began for me when I was a teen ambassador to Holland, where I lived for 18 months. It was so fantastic, because every afternoon at 4 p.m. sharp, and this is why I thought it'd be so great for this program, since we're on from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, what would happen in Holland is families and shopkeepers and professionals... And students, everyone else, everybody would stop to have a cup of tea. And tea bags were never used. All teas were brewed from loose leaves, and mixing up various concoctions was an honored ritual. And then you would have tea and what they called a sweet, which was usually a homemade uh, you know shortbread a cookie or perhaps a slice of cake and that was the perfect remedy for the midday drags and exactly 430 it was back to work back to school and back to obligations but there was something so lovely about taking that 30 minutes to stop everything and have a cup of tea and usually have just a light chat with your family your friends or your coworkers. workers So it's something that I've continued here on the radio at 4 o'clock every day is to have my cup of tea that I brew. And I'll sip tea during the breaks or if I need it while I'm talking to you, I'll even take a sip then too. But it just keeps me energized and happy and it continues the ritual. But for you, you can create your own organic tea garden because it's so easy and it's incredibly rewarding. Fruits and flowers and stems and leaves, they can all be used to create luscious hot or cold beverages that will relax, revitalize, energize, or calm. Now, I am a huge fan of citrus. Lemons, limes, oranges, tangerines, tangellos, all of them add a tremendous amount of zip and zest, flavor and punch to teas. Now, when I have a speaking engagement or, as I said, when I'm on the radio with you or I'm doing a television show, I always drink several cups of this delicious natural brew from my garden that I make this way. It is the juice, the rinds, and the leaves of a Meyer lemon. It is mint, mint leaves, you know, muddled up, chamomile, and a little bit of honey. And sometimes I'll put in oranges, uh, or sometimes I'll even put in some other fruit. But what happens if I just use the lemons and the mint and the chamomile with the honey? My throat and my vocal cords are cleared, and my nerves are calmed, and it allows me to perform with confidence without having to do, (coughs) you know, so often you hear people swallowing and their it's like their voice gets stuck and as long as I have my tea I usually am fine and it's so interesting to me that the times that I don't have time to brew a pot of tea before I go on the air I also find myself you know um, maybe having to cough or to swallow a bit more so try that and here's a little tip now, if you're underage, probably your parents don't will say no, and it's probably not a good idea. But if you have a cold or a flu or you're congested, that same brew of uh, limes—I mean, lemons, Meyer lemons—the rinds, the leaves, the juice, the mint, the chamomile, the honey—in hot tea, and then just add a shot of brandy, and it really it helps you sleep. Now, that really opens your airwaves, and it's great. I don't know if it's. The brandy makes you sleep or what, but that is something that we have done in my family since we were kids. So here are my picks for planting a tea garden in sun or shade. Now, the bonus is that these are all hearty perennials, and they will provide endless ingredients for a plethora of sweet and savory recipes, including brewing your own tea. So try bee balm. Now, bee balm has a citrus spicy flavor Bee balm also is a great uh, butterfly and bee attractor, thus the name, bee balm. Calendula, it's called poor man's saffron. It has almost an exotic, very light, it's not really strong, but kind of saffron flavor, and it turns your tea a very pretty color of yellow. Catnip, it's not just for cats, although cats love to roll in this herb. It has a lemony mint flavor, and it makes delicious tea. Chamomile, which is also good when you have a, you know, a tummy upset, has an apple scent. Coriander, which are the seeds of cilantro, they actually warm you up inside. So if it's a really cold day, a tea of coriander is just fantastic. Fennel has a licorice flavor, and I like anything with the fennel in it. Lavender. Now, lavender will help you sleep. If you brew lavender before you go to bed, also rub lavender in the palms of your hand and smell it. Put it up to your mouth and nose and smell it. It'll help you sleep better. I have always used, make a a lavender spray that I put on my pillow, but I love lavender in teas. If you are a person that enjoys cream or milk in your tea, Try making a lavender cream, and it's so easy to do. You can pour a little bit of either heavy cream, half and half, or if you just want milk, uh, in a small pan, put it on low. Add the lavender seeds, the flower seeds. You can even add lavender leaves. And just gently stir it until the milk is warm and you can kind of see the milk turning a light lavender color. Put it through a strainer and put that cream in your tea, and you will just love it. Lemon verbena has a lemony flavor, and that's um, verbena is very pretty, it has a pretty little flower. It's not minty, but it is definitely lemony. Now mints, there's many kinds of mint, spearmint, peppermint, pineapple mint, chocolate mint, all of them make great teas, but make sure you keep these contained in a pot if possible, because all mints become invasive. I made the mistake of allowing my mint, I thought I could keep it, you know, harnessed in one small bed in my garden. I actually had it blocked off with cinder blocks, uh, but the roots still went underneath the blocks or through the blocks, got into my garden, and I even have mint in my lawn now, So, and it's really hard to get rid of rose oh the fragrance of the rose is going to determine the flavor I have a Gertrude Jekyll rose that to me just has the most wonderful musky flavor I put the rose petals in my bath I use it in a rose tea you can also make rose water to like wash your face I know my grandmother my nonni from Italy that's all she ever used to keep her skin absolutely beautiful but rose makes a really lovely lovely tea Rosemary, now that one, you know, that is kind of crisp and uh, has sort of a piquant thing. We usually use rosemary to flavor our, our lambs and, you know, chicken and pastas and stuff. But try it in your tea as well as sage. And then scented geranium, now that is really lovely. There are many kinds of scented geraniums. We actually call them pelargoniums. And you just brush by them and you get the scent. So see about that. And then viola, which is from the violet family, it has a light viola flavor, a violet flavor. And if you don't, you probably had a violet uh, candy perhaps. But uh, violas are edible. People eat them in salads. And the teas they make are just beautiful. Now, any herb or edible plant that you enjoy can be made into a tea. You harvest early in the morning to capture the essential oils. You place the cuttings in a bowl of cool water to wash off any dirt or debris. Herbs can then be used fresh, or they can be hung in a cool, dark place to dry. And another easy drying technique is to place the cleaned herbs, leaves, and flowers on a cookie sheet, and then you can dry them in the sun. Or if you want something really fun to do, is you can put these uh, on a cookie sheet. Um, you, you know, I put them on a cookie sheet normally. Or you can line a cardboard box maybe with some wax paper. Put them in there and put them on the seat of your car with the windows rolled up in the sunshine. Park the car in the sun. And within a few hours, your herbs are going to be dry. And the best part is your car will smell like a garden, you know, that garden fresh. So that, to me, that's a double win. When storing your herbs, make sure to label and date them to avoid a confusion later. Now, I know what my herbs look like because I've been doing this for years and years. But if you're new to this, you may not know what's in that little bag that you put. You can also freeze your herbs in zip seal bags, or you can make pretty herbal ice cubes for your next celebration. What I usually do is on my computer, I will type out the names of the herbs or the teas that I'm making printed out. Cut these, cut them up, and then just with tape, you know, tape them to the bags. Now, ice cubes made from rose petals, violets, and flowers like um, the calendula or uh, or your uh, geraniums. Oh, they turn out really, really beautiful. They're very intriguing to have in a drink. And there are also numerous ways to brew your teas. So for hot teas, I love to fill a pretty teapot with the various ingredients that I think are needed for that day. I add the boiling water to the concoction, and I allow it to steep for 15, 20 minutes. In the summer, I will muddle fruits in season, like, you know, apricots, cherries, plums, peaches, grapes, strawberries, whatever I have Grind And then using a strainer, I pour the tea into my favorite cups because, again, tea drinking is a celebratory act. And it's much more festive to serve your teas in a cup that is appealing and um, or from and pour it from a pretty teapot. Another very easy way to use uh, your teas is to make it in a press pot or a French press. I call it a cafe pressé, because I use it for my morning java. I learned this when I was living in France. And it, that's very pretty because it is a glass pot And you can see all the different ingredients in it. Then any leftover tea can be poured into a glass pitcher and stored in the refrigerator for a refreshing cold brew. You can strain it as you go, or if you're the kind of person that likes to have the herbs in your tea and you want to read your tea leaves, you can have that as well. Now, many people prefer to make a carafe of sun tea. So here's how you do that. In a clear glass jug, you pour cold water over all of the ingredients that you desire. And again, just go into the garden and choose things that are edible. Place that container in full sun with a lid or a foil cover. And it does take about a full day. It probably needs to be in the sun for uh, 6, 8, 10 hours to brew the sun tea. But once it's brewed, the reward is a very rich and robust flavor. Now, you'll know that it's brewed when the tea is turned color because when you first pour the cold water over all of your herbs, you're going to notice that it still looks clear. But then once it is brewed, you're going to see that it turns, it could turn pink depending what you put in it. It might be green. It might have a yellowish tint. It might be orange. Like, uh, you know, it just, just, just depends what you're going to put inside of it. Because if you are um, putting nasturtiums that are red and orange and yellow, it might be a really pretty orange color. So what, whether you enjoy fragrant, sweet, piquant, spicy, tea making is available to you from your garden. And after a productive day of working in the garden... I like to reward my handiwork while sipping a glass of iced sun tea that I've concocted from my herbs, flowers, and fruits from my own plants. And it's just such a relaxing elixir to pause in the afternoon, Uh, you know, again, that four o'clock ritual. As you know, four years, and we still do it, my daughter Heather and I, we do a radio segment That is called Tea for Two, a mother-daughter brew. And for many years, we wrote a column of the same name because it was always with tea that we were able to bring everything that we wanted to talk about into conversation and we could discuss what was happening in the world. So today, a cup of tea still connects us in a continual discussion. So plant your garden. It is tea time. And then here are a few things to do in your garden now if you uh, are enjoying gardening. You can mulch your yard with three inches of wood chips or other organic materials to maintain temperature, prevent erosion, and keep your plants happy for the forthcoming hot weather. Fertilize with all-purpose feed before the heat hits. You might want to plant Mexican Evening Primrose along a fence or in a wild setting for a pretty pop of pink that blooms only in the daylight and also thrives in poor soil. You know, for most of us, especially here in California, we have really poor soil. And so we're always looking for plants that are going to survive and thrive. Well, Mexican Evening Primrose is one of those. When you need to water your garden, remember to water early in the morning and then at dusk for maximum absorption and minimal waste. So either early in the morning or at dusk, or if you need both and you're not having any water issues, that's fine. Right now, you can find in your garden centers these beautiful, elegant, long-lasting peonies to add to your collection. Peonies like six hours of full sun. They love well-drained soil, and they can live for 50 years or more they will bloom through the end of June, and their glossy green leaves remain green through winter when they die back to the ground. Then they'll reemerge next spring. So they are really one of my very, very favorite, no-fuss, elegant flowering shrubs. And then don't forget to grow a tea garden, and you can grow a tea garden in containers just filled with, with herbs and edible fragrant flowers such as rose calendula, nasturtium, and lavender. So, as always, enjoy these final days of spring, and happy gardening, and happy growing. And I hope that you will consider buying my newest book, that is Growing with the Goddess Gardener. You can go to CynthiaBryan.com, click on Books, and you'll see all the books that I have written. I've just finished my eighth book. We're in the um, what would you call the publisher's second edit draft proofing process right now. Probably will be out towards the end of summer. And that book is "Be the Star You Are: Millennials to Boomers." We're really excited about it. It's positive voices. In a changing digital world and that will be a celebration when that comes out because we have 31 contributors but I really am proud of Growing with the Goddess Gardener it is meant to be the first book in a series of nine of the Growing series the next one will be Growing with Patience but if people don't buy them then I don't get to write book two or book three or book four so please go to cynthiabryan.com forward slash books. And uh, for those of you who like to buy your books online or at Amazon, feel free to do so. I just want to tell you, you may want to check the website, my website first, cynthiabryan.com, because uh, we are selling them as inexpensively as possible with just about a dollar over what the wholesale price is. It is almost double when you go online. So, Just uh, be aware of that. I have uh, some thoughts on leadership that I wanted to share with you that I was reading in Forbes magazine recently because here at Be The Star You Are, we have a motto to be a leader, you must be a reader. And we say read, lead, succeed. So these are some famous people that had some thoughts on leadership and they're all really excellent. Albert Schweitzer said, Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. Now, J.K. Rowling had this to say. It's a curious thing, Harry, but perhaps those best suited to power are those who have never sought it. So that's interesting about leadership. Machiavelli, he who wishes to be obeyed must know how to command. Ronald Reagan, surround yourself with great people. Delegate authority and then get out of the way. I like that one a lot, and I usually try to live by that one. Adelaide Stevenson said, It's hard to lead a cavalry charge if you you think you look funny on a horse. (laughs) Benjamin Disraeli, I must follow the people. Am I not their leader? And Homer said, Too many kings can ruin an army. Nelson Mandela had this to say, in countries where innocent people are dying, the leaders are following their blood rather than their brains. That was a smart man. And Eleanor Roosevelt, to handle yourself, use your head. To handle others, use your heart. We could all use that saying, couldn't we? And then Jack Welch, a leader's job is to have all the, all the questions you have to be incredibly comfortable looking like the dumbest person in the room. And that's something I always tell my volunteers. I want to be the dumbest person in the room because I'm bringing you on as a volunteer so that you can excel and and become the leader you were meant to be. And if you make mistakes, it's okay. We all have to fail lots before we can get it right. Malcolm Fall, uh, Forbes had this as a final thought. No one's a leader if there are no followers. So... Let's all munch on some of that. When we come back from break, uh, these quotes will lead us right into the Constitution, women's rights, and what we have to say about it, and how many rights we have. I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be back in just a bit.
0: Be the star you are. The star you
2: your world, change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan.
1: At some point, one of your very best employees will miss work or might quit. And as an employer, you need to be prepared. So you need to do some cross-training. Ask yourself these questions. If Mr. Jones quits suddenly, will my productivity suffer? Who would be the person who is cross-trained? Have you asked the person if Mrs. Smith is willing to step into this new position? Schedule training for current employees or start with someone new and do it quickly. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com or call 925. 925- 377 star. That's 925 377 star to book a consultation or a coaching.
0: Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Visit our website at BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376-376, Moraga, California, 94556. BeTheStarYouAre.org. Dare to care.
1: Well, we are back and we are all about power and we are going to celebrate America now and the Constitution of the United States. I recently had the pleasure of seeing a new play that only showcased uh, three actors in it and it was called What the Constitution Means to Me. And it was absolutely uh, fascinating because it's a timelessness of what the Constitution means to me, it's striking for its commentary on the national political climate. The uh, The writer of this was Heidi Schreck, and uh, she just brings such a nuance um, to this performance as a playwright and a performer because it's based on her uh, a, a speech she gave, I think when she was... 15 years old. And then she just uh, goes forward on what were the rights of women and the amendments to the Constitution. So the Constitution of the United States, this year we're commemorating the 150th anniversary of the ratification of the 14th Amendment. And what so many people don't know is that When women were not allowed to participate in the conventions which framed and ratified the United States Constitution in the 1780s, women's rights as citizens, particularly their right to vote, run for office, serve on a jury, serve in the militia, they were understood by the framers to be different from the rights of the male citizens. A number of amendments made to the Constitution since 1791 have played an important role in establishing and then also sometimes inhibiting the rights of women in the United States. But in what the Constitution means to me, Heidi Schreck reckons with how the Constitution and its amendments have affected her life as an American and as a woman. And it was very interesting to me to uh, see this uh, play because, you know, it's something that I really hadn't thought about because I always feel that I have quite a bit of rights. But many, many people for so many years did not have these rights. And hopefully the American story is a story of emancipation, whether it's emancipation from slavery or from domestic violence or emancipation from ignorance. Hopefully this is a story that is moving towards some type of freedom. So some of the amendments that most significant to the history of women's right uh, legislation uh, we're going to highlight today in this final segment of Star Style, Be the Star You Are. And if you're just tuning in, I am your host. I am Cynthia Bryan, and I am your personal coach right here on the Voice America Network every week from 4 to 5 p.m. So let's start with the Ninth Amendment, which was ratified in 1791. Now, a summary of that was it reserves the rights of citizens, which are not specifically mentioned by the U.S. Constitution. And the notes to that are arguments that the Ninth Amendment applies a right to privacy play a significant role in legislation regarding reproductive rights in cases like Griswold versus Connecticut or Roe versus Wade and that was uh, the first one was 1965 and Roe versus Wade is 1973 the Supreme Court decided that access to contraception and to abortion respectively were protected on the basis of the right to privacy however protection on the right to privacy has a mixed track record for women for one Uh, An American historian, Joe Lepore, puts it, the privacy doctrine reaffirms and reinforces what the feminist critique of sexuality criticizes, the public-private split. For example, the right to privacy was involved in arguments opposed to women's suffrage, the thinking being that political enfranchisement for women that it would intrude on men's privacy at home. She also explained that legal protection on the basis of privacy is a weak substitute for arguments based on equality, such as desegregation of schools in Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, which have tended to grow stronger over time. And then there's the Equal Rights Amendment, which was meant to provide a sturdier constitutional basis for legislation, preventing gender discrimination, and that never came to fruition, Though Congress passed the amendment in 1972 and it was ratified by 35 states, it failed to pass the necessary 38 states by the ratification deadline. And scholars argue that the decades-old amendment could still be valid if it was ratified by three more states. I'm not sure about that. Section 1 of the proposed amendment reads simply, Equality of Rights Under the Law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. So a Ninth Amendment is important one. Then there's the Thirteenth Amendment, which is from 1865. And in summary, this amendment forbids forced slavery and involuntary servitude, except as punishment for a criminal offense. Now the notes to this, Constitutional scholar Akil Reed Amar points out that women were in large parts the agents and the subjects of the 13th Amendment. They were agents because women publicly mobilized for the abolitionist movement. They were subjects because half of the people who were emancipated were female. Now, women like Sojourner Truth and Harriet Beecher Stowe gave speeches. They published writing in support of abolition. And a dominant theme in abolitionist literature was the plight of enslaved women, especially their role as sexual servants of male slave owners. And, you know, we've probably seen, most of people have seen 12 Years a Slave, the movie, which was really hard to watch, but an incredible uh, movie, and based on truth. So in addition to contributing to the end of slavery, Women's role in the abolitionist movement was a notable instance of women acting in politics without legal protection for their political participation. So in the 19th century, society expected that women act only in the private sphere. So long as religion was considered to be part of the private sphere, women could act in politically significant religious movements with some freedom. So, religious groups of men and women played a very significant role in the abolitionist movement, and they worked to motivate change with moral appeals against the scene um, of slavery. And thank goodness for the 13th Amendment. Now, then we come to the 14th Amendment, but this didn't happen until 1868. Now, the summary of that is Section 1 establishes citizenship by birth or naturalization in the United States. It guarantees all citizens, due process, and fair proceedings in a trial, and equal protection under the law. Section 2 removes the practice of counting slaves as three-fifths of a person in a sentence and grants all males at least 21 years old the right to vote. And it was just males. But can you believe that we used to count slaves as three-fifths of a person? That, to me, it just makes my back crawl. Section 3 prevents citizens who were involved in rebellion against the United States from holding office, designed to prevent former Confederate officials from holding office. And Section 4 states that the debt accrued by the federal government during the Civil War will be honored except debts owed to the Confederacy or claims by save, slaveholders regarding the loss or emancipation of a slave. Very interesting. We tend to understand civil rights to include political rights, like the right to vote. But while the 14th Amendment is an important legal foundation for protecting civil rights, like the right to own property or to speak freely, it has not been understood to protect political rights. So uh, Amar, who is this constitutional scholar that I'm talking about, explains that at the time of its ratification, The 14th Amendment was about granting civil rights to black people. He suggests that civil rights were largely defined in 1868 by the status of unmarried white women. The 14th Amendment was in fact saying that America could let blacks, black men and black women, have the same rights that unmarried white women had long enjoyed. Though the 14th Amendment was ratified in the context of protecting emancipated slaves from discrimination, the first section of the 14th does not explicitly treat racial discrimination as different from gender discrimination. So again, that section one, that first section that I read to you, it just establishes citizenship by birth or nationalization in the United States and guarantees all citizens due process in a fair trial. Then there's the 15th Amendment that came in 1870, and that guarantees citizens the suffrage rights regardless of their race, their color, or their previous slave status. So whereas the 14th Amendment addressed civil rights, the 15th Amendment that came two years later gave them political rights regardless of race. However, the 15th Amendment doesn't recognize women as a protected category in any political participation. Though women's rights movements supported abolition, it divided over support for the 15th Amendment due to its failure to guarantee women's suffrage. So supporters of the amendment formed the American Women Suffrage Association and detractors of the amendment formed the National Woman Suffrage Association. That had to be really, really confusing in those days. And those two computing The competing organizations didn't merge until 1890, and that's when they coordinated support for what would become the 19th um, Amendment. I'm going to skip the 18th Amendment, which was 1919, and that denied the sale and consumption of alcohol, so that became the temperance movement. And the 19th Amendment was for women, and it reserved suffrage rights regardless of sex, and the century-long struggle, it was a full century, for women's suffrage began to organize at the national level in 19, well, in 1848, Uh, but at the convention, that was Elizabeth Cady Stanton, read her manifesto, Declaration of of Sentiments, which modeled on the Declaration of Independence, outlining women's grievances and demands, and then after the Civil War, the National Woman Suffrage Association, which included Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, planned an act of civil disobedience to make their case for women's suffrage. A group of women attempted to vote in the federal elections of 1872 in New York. The federal government decided to prosecute Anthony and others for voting illegally. Very interesting. And, of course, there was a United States versus Susan B. Anthony. It was a legal battle in 1873. have failed in court, but the National Suffrage Association decided to promote a new uh, amendment and it was ratified on August 18th in 1920 called the Susan Anthony Amendment. So, though the 19th Amendment only mentions voting, it effectively guarantees all political rights regardless of sex. And that is an important amendment that we all need to applaud So with that, let's look at being Americans as a great thing. And you may want to pick up the Constitution of the United States and reread some of these articles. I think you will find the articles and amendments to be absolutely fascinating. And you will see how in the beginning... For the first hundred years, they really, or two hundred years, I guess it was, they um, are close to that. One hundred and fifty years, they really only were helping, um, helping men. Yes, it would be one hundred and fifty years. Sorry about that. So, thank you for being great listeners and allowing us into your life every week. I hope that you are always uh, tuned into Star Style. Be the star you are. For the latest information, the truth and expert advice in fun from renowned authors as well as experts from around the globe. I want you to be able to change your life for the better and to make your dreams come true. For information about Be The Star You Are, visit org, And for more information about my coaching, consultation, writing, books, etc., visit cynthiabryan.com. And for books, you'll find the books at that website. Consider making a donation to Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this show every week, Be BeTheStarYouAre.org, and just click on Donate. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate you. I want you to see beyond your physical being and know you're already the star that you dreamed of being. Cherish the past, dream of the future, but celebrate today And read a book this week because it is like a garden in your pocket. And I hope that book will be Growing with the Goddess Gardener. Until we celebrate next week, remember, love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you to be the star you are. Make this a marvelous week. Dream, create, inspire, make a difference. And we'll be together next Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Network, the Empowerment Channel. Thanks for being with me.
0: Be the star you are The star you